It's Tuesday, January 23rd, and it's now or never. We start here. That's the sound of a two-person race. With polls about to open in New Hampshire, Nikki Haley looks for a miracle. Win, lose, draw, whatever tonight, it's only going to get harder from here. So what does she actually need to mount a serious challenge, and what does Donald Trump need to ice this? The FAA tells airlines to take a look at another aircraft. What else is lurking out there that we need to know about? Has this blown another hole in Boeing's image? And as unique as the Republican primary has been... I feel personally a little disenfranchised by the National Democratic Party. It's Democrats that could derail the New Hampshire primary's existence. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Brad Milkey. Good morning from Manchester, where polls are about to open in the New Hampshire primary. And every primary day is a big day. But this could be the day. Because think about where we stand right now. At this point, you only got two viable Republicans left in the nominating contest for president. She wouldn't be good for this job. I can tell you that right now. Former President Donald Trump and his former U.N. ambassador, Nikki Haley. When you hear Trump speak, what's he talking about? Grievances? The past? Trump emphatically won Iowa. He's won the endorsements of most of the opponents he's vanquished. And now he's leading in the polls most everywhere else. So to frame this as a big step could be underselling it. Tonight, in many ways, is the ball game. Even though it's crazy early, this could be the night Nikki Haley turns this into a race, or it could become Donald Trump's balloon drop, the night he effectively clinches the nomination. And we mentioned this a bit yesterday, The vibes here are much different than past cycles. I've covered New Hampshire primaries. In 2016, I was embedded here for the better part of a year. I went to multiple events a day. The final week is usually bonkers. Yard signs piling up on top of each other, campaign events, not even just the candidates. You got campaign events with surrogates drawing big crowds across the state. That is not the vibe this year. Lawns are emptier, events are more sparsely attended. The biggest difference you notice here is that all the ads on YouTube and social media are suddenly for political campaigns. And while Haley's supporters have been growing more chipper, there is still a gulf of enthusiasm between her voters and Trump's. So what time did you get here? 11. 11 a.m. What time's the thing? Oh, we have the This is Bianca Weber. She was first in line to see Trump speak this weekend. And while Trump will often bring in tourists from across state lines who are just excited to see a show, she's from here. She's a New Hampshireite, and she's voting. Uh, For myself, it's the economy, it's my children, it's education, parental rights. In a famously deliberative state where voters used to talk about needing to meet the candidate in order to support them, these voters made up their minds long ago. Was there any any consideration of these other Republicans? Hell no. Absolutely not. Nope. Why is that? Uh, Because I trust Trump's policies and he actually put America first last time and I know he'll do it again. We're past the days of Trump saying he could theoretically shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and not lose any votes. He's now been charged in real life with 91 felony counts in four different jurisdictions. Not only did that not give these voters pause, they said they felt more of a need to come out and send a message of encouragement to Trump. To them, these rallies are a two-way show of support. If he doesn't win this primary, if they can actually mess it up that bad. But in the general, the people are going to still, I'll write him in. 
I'll write him in if he's in jail. However, elections are not about vibes, right? They're about votes. So this morning, on a day that could potentially shape American politics for the next year and beyond, I want to turn to Galen Drew for some cold, hard numbers. He's with our partners at 538, where he hosts the 538 podcast. Galen, let's start with the big question. What does Nikki Haley need to do today? Like, what, what is a good result for her? What does Nikki Haley need to do today? You know, to win the nomination, to feel good about herself? I mean, if she wants to win the nomination, what she needs to do is be Donald Trump. If she wants to feel good about herself, I would say, according to the polling averages right now, Donald Trump has about 50% support in New Hampshire. She has about 36% support. That's a 14-point gap. So if she wants to feel good about herself, I would say end the night somewhere in the range of 10 percentage points. But really what we're talking about here is... How well can she spin her campaign to say that she's the heir apparent in 2028? Or does she end up leaving the race, you know, looking like she spent her donors money well? Like, in all reality here, Brad, I don't think we're talking about a path to the nomination for Nikki Haley, because let's be clear— Trump leads Haley by 14 points in New Hampshire, and that is the most competitive state in the country. Nikki Haley does better in New Hampshire than she does anywhere else. That's the sound of a two-person race. Win, lose, draw, whatever tonight, it's only going to get harder from here if you're actually trying to rack up delegates for Nikki Haley. And just so I'm clear, Galen, like the, when we talk about polling in New Hampshire, like state polls are notoriously a little bit more fickle than, than large national polls with huge sample sizes. I mean, are, are there surprises to be had in a state like New Hampshire or are all of them kind of telling you the same thing? There are always surprises to be had, Brad, but I think there are limitations on what kinds of surprises we can expect. So primary polling has a larger average error than general election polling because voters are more liable to switch from one candidate to another quickly because generally everyone who's running is either a Democrat or Republican. So there is not as steep of a barrier to switch your support from one candidate to another. And so things can happen quickly. However, you know, we've been tracking this race for a while. There's a lot of polls out in the field. I mean, that's another reason that polling error can be relatively high is if we don't have a lot of polls in a primary, then we don't get a robust average. When he was president, things all around were a lot better. It'll do good for our country to get Trump back in office. I like that she's a woman, first of all. Well, I mean, Nikki Haley, she's a star. But there's actually been a lot of polls conducted in New Hampshire. And the coalitions of Trump voters and Nikki Haley voters are relatively well clarified. Like, they don't have a ton of overlap. People who support Nikki Haley generally don't like Donald Trump, and people who support Donald Trump at this point generally don't really prefer Nikki Haley. So it's less likely that we'll see a lot of switching back and forth. I mean, the things that have happened recently that could potentially shake up the polls are dropouts, the most recent dropout being Ron DeSantis. But if you look at the polling, you know, at least nationally, it looks like his voters would go two to one for Donald Trump. Mm. So him dropping out of the race might make it even less likely that Nikki Haley wins New Hampshire. So yes, we should always expect surprises. Polls are not final tallies. They are a snapshot in time. They're the best tool that we have for understanding a horse race. They are not infallible. All that being said, you know, surprises can only get you so far. Hey, and and when you talk about how Haley supporters not so high on Donald Trump and Donald Trump supporters very like not on board with Nikki Haley, why is that? Like you've been talking to voters in New Hampshire and elsewhere, right? How have they described their thought process to you? 
Yeah, it's truly a different coalition. So Nikki Haley's voters are more moderate. They are more likely to be college educated. Many of them are independents or unaffiliated voters who will cast a ballot in the Republican primary on Tuesday, but do not identify necessarily as Republicans. The state and the people have listened to Nikki and her voice and her message is She's the uniter. If you look, Nikki Haley tends to do better with older voters in New Hampshire, Mm. whereas Donald Trump's voters are, you know, quite conservative and really are just more likely to be made up of reliable Republican voters. And I'm 100 percent behind President Trump. I was in 2016 and 2020. When you talk to people, one thing really clearly emerges, for me at least, you know, I I met with a panel of voters while I was in Manchester, New Hampshire, and I was like, what's the most important issue for you in this election? And without a beat, the Trump supporter says immigration. Without a beat, the DeSantis supporter says immigration. 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 Not immigration. The Haley voter says, well, not immigration. I'm more interested in leadership qualities. And so what you hear is oftentimes the Haley voters are looking for an alternative to Trump and they may end up liking Haley and be enthusiastic about her or not. Generally, what we see is her voters are less enthusiastic about her specifically. But what they're really looking for is an alternative to Trump. My goal was to have an alternative. The result was really getting to like Nikki Haley and respect her and want her to be my president. Whereas, you know, the Trump and DeSantis voters are really read into the policy priorities of the Republican Party. It's not just affecting the southern border. It's also affecting, uh, you know, New Hampshire. And enthusiastically supporting someone who they think will close the border and take a hard line on immigration, you know, like the positions that Trump ran on back in 2016 and again in 2020. And Galen, when we talk about support for Trump in this state, I mean, people have said, you know, New Hampshire is so moderate compared with the other states that Republican base is just not here for him. I bumped into you at a Trump rally on Friday night. There were people lined up there at 11 a.m. I mean, how are people describing their enthusiasm level in New Hampshire to you? Yeah, we should remember that New Hampshire was actually the first state that Donald Trump won back in 2016. And so there is clearly a base of support for him there. And I think What happened in Iowa in terms of him winning and some other things like the indictments have in some ways helped him coalesce the Republican base. Of course, DeSantis has helped as well. But one thing in particular, we were out talking to voters about their impressions of the Maine Secretary of State's decision to remove Trump from the primary ballot there. Of course, Maine is just next door to the north. I think that people should be able to elect whoever they want to. And that's simple. It's it's supposed to be by the people for the people, right? Even people who don't necessarily told me themselves don't like everything Donald Trump does. That move, you know, in Colorado and in Maine has sort of galvanized Republicans to feel like their guy is being persecuted and want to support him even more. And so he has his natural base, but he's also this dynamic of the indictments and then kicking him off the primary ballot. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's the right thing to do under the law or not, I think it has served as helping to galvanize Republicans around him. It's interesting. I was speaking to a Republican operative here in New Hampshire who's no fan of Donald Trump. Like He does not want Trump to win. And he said, Brad, I get it. 
No sportscaster ever wants to predict a blowout. Everyone wants to predict a close game. Republicans and Democrats alike want the New Hampshire primary to stay relevant, so they want to race. And yet, it didn't look to him like there was any chance something else would happen. So a healthy dose of realism here as we begin this night uh, with all these expectations. Galen Druk from 538. Thank you. Thank you. Next up on Start Here, the FAA is not pulling the plug, but they're asking Boeing to check the door plugs it's got. We're back in a bit. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor. You know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. Most incidents on airplanes are isolated, right? The U.S. famously has one of the safest aerospace industries on Earth. And yet even the isolated incidents can have a broad effect. I reached over and held his hands um, and we literally thought that we were going to die. When a door plug popped off an Alaska Airlines flight in midair, the idea that other Boeing 737 MAX 9s could be susceptible to this resulted in more than 100 aircraft being grounded for inspection. Well, recently, a different plane, another Boeing, in fact, experienced a malfunction mid-flight. When it got back down to the tarmac, engineers discovered a hole near its engine. And then this week, the FAA has recommended yet another type of Boeing aircraft be looked at by air carriers. So let's go to ABC's aviation contributor, John Nance. John, first of all, can we just back up and explain what happened on that, that cargo flight with the hole? What, what, how does that happen? In this particular case, uh, this 747 engine, uh, number two, apparently was eating itself out. In other words, it started throwing blades, either compressor blades, turbine blades, I'm not sure at this point. One of those was flung out and probably created that hole. Mayday, Mayday, uh, Giant 095, heavy uh, engine fire. 
West Texas back to the airport. That's what we think right now, but it's going to take a little bit of investigation to, to get to the bottom of that. And by the way, we've got the best investigative agency on the planet for that. The National Transportation Safety Board are at their best when they are looking at pieces of metal and trying to figure out what happened. So they'll get that one solved. But the the question is the same one that we've been asking after the Alaska Airlines situation, which was uh, what else is lurking out there that we need to know about and we were previously feeling very assured about and uh, that we now have to go back and, uh, and ask some questions. And that, that is a profound question in itself. I see. And so then when we look at what just happened with the FAA in the last couple of days, that has more to do with the idea that like a door or a door plug could pop off the same way it happened on that Alaska flight, right? So, I mean, what is the FAA advising here? This is a 900 version of the 737. It's not a MAX. Uh, it's a similar type of airplane, and of course, the, the dimensions are pretty much the same. But the question being asked is the same regardless of whether it's the MAX or otherwise, and that is, is there anything that during the production we have embedded in the airplane that was not done right that is a safety problem that we don't know about previously? And that's why they've got to go back and look mm. now at an additional model. And yeah, why this one and not every single Boeing that's been released over the last several years? Well, the, the reality is that most of the Boeings that have been released, the 737s, do not have this kind of a plug uh, in place of a door. So there is no potential for having the same problem that the MAX experienced in this particular case with Alaska. United and Alaska are probably the biggest users of this particular model, uh, and the 900 now is a more widespread, and it is going to take some time, but it's mainly a matter of going in, taking the walls down, and, and taking a look at the, at the installation of those plugs. There's 15 to 20 percent of Alaska Airlines flights that, uh, that have been canceled. United has had a pretty good impact on their schedule as well, and uh, you couple that with weather delays, and yes, people do see the result. Uh, as far as the long term, these birds will be back in the air uh, fairly rapidly, and uh, they will be fully reliable. I see. So these are the ones that have the plug instead of the door. Um, just from a either a safety perspective or even just a PR perspective, how bad is this for Boeing, the fact that this seemed like the, these reviews are getting wider? Boeing is not going to be mammothly impacted on this. Uh, they are going to be in the doghouse for a while. Uh, they let it happen. They're the authority, regardless of where it happened. It's how they respond that's going to be important in the long term. We're going to approach this, number one, acknowledging our mistake. We are going to approach it with 100% and complete transparency every step of the way. People look at this, this company and basically say, what's happened to it? And there are theories that basically moving from an engineering company to more of a, uh, a good money maker, uh, something was left in the background. And when you take a look at the investigation right now, into the uh, the Max 9 and this Alaska Airlines situation, you find some things to be concerned about because they have gotten rid of over 900 inspectors uh, on the line during the last number of years in favor of having people inspect their own work. Well, inspecting your own work is not a bad idea. As a matter of fact, we have a system called the DER system. That has worked actually beautifully over the years, but they expanded this to include people on the line. And this is where we're getting into human factors trouble. And that's what I think is going to be the result of uh, the investigations on this Alaska Airlines situation. And Boeing, for its part, says, quote, we fully support FAA and our customers in this action, end quote. Also, the idea that, you know, Boeing was eliminating some of those safety inspections. At the time, they said that those issues would just be caught earlier in the process. So they didn't expect any bad consequences of that. 
Now they say they're expanding checks and that they're also bringing in the airlines for additional oversight. So John Nance, our aviation contributor with the insight here. Thank you so much. Always my pleasure. Okay, one more quick break. When we come back, New Hampshire has its own Cinderella story, but what happens after midnight? One last thing is next. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. And one last thing. Overnight, the first votes were cast in the 2024 primary process. Not caucus votes. I'm talking about official ballots here in New Hampshire have already been filled out and tallied. It means when you wake up the next morning, the other voters in this state will they'll have a little indication of the trend. See, some towns are so tiny here that for years they've held their votes at midnight. The idea is these precincts are so small, they can get every single voter accounted for within a few minutes, close the polls, and announce their votes to the world. Buchanan got three. George W. Bush, 21 votes. Three ballots cast for Barack Obama. That's the legendary Dixville Knots. They did their tradition again overnight, but it's not the first community to start this tradition. Welcome to Hart's Location, population 63. Oh, hello, Mr. Waggy Tail. How are you? Hey. How you doing? Hi there. Of New Hampshire's 234 official towns, this place here in the White Mountains is its smallest. You mentioned over the phone that you wanted to see where we're voting. Well, actually, we are voting here oh, on Tuesday. While Dixville Notch, further north, is an unincorporated community, Hart's location has a local government. It's got a school board. There are two businesses here, a small campground with a general store, and the bed and breakfast known as the Notchland Inn. We have board games and fireplace and portrait of the man who built uh, the Notchland Inn back in the 1860s in here. But Mark Dindorf works here as the innkeeper. You know, I live uh, about a half a mile away from here, actually in a, in a location that you can't drive to. I live literally over the river and through the woods. He explains that back in the 40s, Hart's location originated this tradition of midnight voting to accommodate railroad workers who didn't have time to vote during the day. At one point, the press attention got too intense. The famous quote is, you couldn't even go to the outhouse without a reporter looking over your shoulder. And they scrapped it, only to revive it again in the 90s. Without the outhouse? Without the outhouse, yeah, we have. <laughs> yeah, we all have uh, indoor plumbing at this point. Well, today, for the first time in a generation, residents of Hart's location will cast their primary votes during daylight hours. The midnight vote's been canceled. And while all the excitement in the state is about the Republican Party, the reasons for this change actually rest with the Democrats. Members of the DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee took several shots at the Granite State, implying New Hampshire is too white, too wealthy, and not sufficiently loyal to the Democratic Party. Okay, so I want you to stick with me here. Last year, Democrats decided to change the order of states that nominate their presidential candidate. For years, it's been Iowa, then New Hampshire, then South Carolina. Well, the Democratic National Committee now says they want South Carolina first. How's life? 
couldn't be better. <laughs> that is the head of the New Hampshire State Democratic Party, Raymond Buckley. What was your reaction when the National Democratic Party said, um, we'd actually like South Carolina to be first, please? I don't know a better word for fury, but uh, stronger than furious. Usually, Buckley's in lockstep with the higher-ups in D.C., but not here. They're not talking to us. <laughs> really? We're, we haven't had any communication. And he says he gets what national folks were thinking. South Carolina's more diverse, perhaps more indicative of what Democrats across the country would want. But there is a problem. There is a state law that was passed in 1975 that uh, uh, directs the Secretary of State by law uh, to hold uh, the state primary uh, seven days before any other like uh, event. That's right. New Hampshire is so protective of its primary, it wrote a state law saying... Basically, if you guys try to cut ahead of us, we'll go even earlier. We were led to believe that we were fine, and it came as a shock and surprise to us. The National Committee's answer to that was, well, that's fine if you guys want to have a vote in New Hampshire, but we don't have to count it. Your state won't get any delegates. President Biden won't even file the paperwork to run there. To which Buckley said, fine. Joe Biden's been coming to New Hampshire since the 1970s. So, you know, I think he's met uh, every member of my extended family multiple times. Yeah, we were obviously very disappointed. Meanwhile, while Biden didn't have a mainstream Democratic challenger, some lesser known figures did decide to run against him. Congressman Dean Phillips, who's convinced Biden is too old to lead the party anymore. The country has opined, and I think it is a Democratic delusion to coordinate a candidate who is sure to lose. And Marion Williamson, who's never held elected office. I want a Department of Peace. I want to help make peace sexy. Which presented a problem to New Hampshire Democrats. If any of these folks won, that could make this primary look less relevant than ever, which has led to a massive campaign to get Democrats to write in Joe Biden's name, whether he's filed or not. That's one of the most valuable statements we can make about how strongly we feel about his candidacy. I'm all in for Joe Biden because of what he's done and what he offers. And I think, you know, the people in New Hampshire need to see that. Prominent Democrats have held rallies supporting this idea. The president's team is prohibited from being involved. Party officials are staying out of it. Uh, what are you going to be doing on primary day? Uh, since my election as chair in 2007, I've always written in Jimmy Carter. I will have been able to say I voted for Jimmy Carter more times than any other human being on earth. And by now you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with voting at midnight in small towns? Well, up in Hart's location, organizers had to make a choice. More likely than not, the majority of the votes will be write-in votes. Those take longer to tally and to validate. Even the possibility of a few dozen write-in votes meant they could be up for a while, checking handwriting, filling out forms. God forbid someone gets the tally wrong. With a midnight vote, there's usually a lot of press scrutiny about what we're doing and, and an anxiousness to get the result out as quickly as possible. And you know, we just felt that it was going to be difficult to meet that expectation uh, given the circumstances of this year's election. Neighbors expressed hesitation about staying up until 2 in the morning for this. So this morning, they are setting up a daytime vote in the Notchland Inn's dining room. And so there would be one table which would be set up for the checklist. Uh -huh. So basically, when a voter arrives to vote, they um, 
present their name if and we're supposed to have ID but in such a small town we're all known to one another. know who that we're all known is. to one another so uh, sometimes the checking of the ID is, is waived because of that you know that existing knowledge but Mark clearly cares about this in fact when you think of all the people involved in this process the owner of the inn is the town moderator Mark is the chair of the select board you got supervisors of the voter rolls almost one in five adults in Hart's location are in local government. Voter turnout is generally 100%. This might be one of the most civically engaged places in the country. So I asked Mark, what does it mean to know that the National Party doesn't want you guys to be first in the nation anymore? I feel personally a little disenfranchised by the you know, National Democratic Party and their decision to to not honor the first in the nation primary votes from New Hampshire. And while I understand the you know the diversity um, challenge that New Hampshire has, you know, largely being a, a you know, white Caucasian uh, populace for the most part, without a lot of the diversity that's representative of the rest of the nation. One thing that New Hampshire has that other states don't is experience with this retail politics process. A lot of Granite Staters will say we deserve to be first because we take it really seriously, at which I've always kind of bristled, which American states don't take voting seriously. But this point that Mark is making packs more of a punch. To win South Carolina, you can't really visit every town. You can't shake every hand. You'd be better served spending your money on TV ads. Well, in a state as small as New Hampshire, every vote truly counts, to the point where presidential candidates have come here into the North Country to make their case to a few dozen voters at an inn. We have hosted some of them here at Notchland. Wesley Clark was here, uh, Tom Deans was here, uh, Bill Bradley back in uh, 2000 was here. It's in places like this that underdogs can gain momentum, where upsets can truly happen, and residents are desperately hoping this year is a hiccup and not a last gasp. I'm a Democratic registered voter and I plan to vote and, and I sure hope my vote counts. I would like to think so, especially since the you know, Democratic Party is, is making a big deal about protecting democracy. Um, oh, do you think you'll write in Biden, by the way, can I ask? Uh, I expect that I will. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Game time in the Granite State. For live coverage of the results tonight, check out ABC News Live from 7 p.m. Eastern all the way through midnight for wall-to-wall coverage. I will also be on ABC Radio's live coverage. The ABC News app is open for business. And, of course, we will break it all down here tomorrow morning. From Manchester, New Hampshire, I'm Brad Milkey. See you tomorrow. The first ever criminal trial of a former president is underway in Manhattan. It's one of potentially four trials facing former President Trump as he makes his third bid for the White House. What do voters think about his culpability, and would a guilty verdict make a difference in the election? I'm Galen Druk, and every Monday and Thursday on the 538 Politics podcast, we break down the latest news from the campaign trail. We sort through the noise and zoom in on what really matters using data and research as we go. That's 538 Politics every Monday and Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.